Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Over the Neon Rainbow. I'm your host, Annie Vett, and I've got 10 episodes lined up for you over the next three months with a new episode every single Monday. We're going to be covering a lot of important topics like the intricacies of publishing and some fun creative topics like how to get started producing and making music. And we've even got a few special guests lined up. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Or fuck a feature. I'm not really sure what the rules are on cursing and podcasting, but I guess we're going to find out. (laughs) So anyway, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's jump right in. In the beginning of April 2018, I announced that my last feature ever would be Party Freaks with the Pegboard Nerds, who are wonderful human beings, by the way. I absolutely adore them, and I love working with them. Um, And I felt like that was definitely going out on like a peak high because my last feature would be, you know, with my good friends and it was Party Freaks and it was a collaboration with like Rocket League and it was with Monster Cat where I had first really started doing EDM features. Just a really great way to close a big chapter in my life. What I didn't expect was the type of reaction that I had gotten when I had said I would no longer be featuring because people literally thought I was quitting music. And I had already started to make the transition from not being a feature and being full-on collaboration. And when I say full-on collaboration, I mean literally like the word and. (laughs) So um, I was like really surprised when people literally thought I was like quitting music or that I'd no longer be making EDM like in lieu of a solo career or just completely quitting. Um, So I was getting a lot of Google alerts um, from like Reddit threads, which of course I read, even though I shouldn't have read them. Um, (laughs) I was getting tags in Facebook posts, like thanking me for my songs and saying they'd miss me, which I mean, thank you so much for everyone's really sweet posts. Like I, I was very moved and I was very shocked too, because I, I just thought it was pretty wild. I didn't expect like the response. I didn't expect any response really. And I also couldn't understand why people thought I was leaving music because to me, literally all I meant was I am an and not a feature. And then last week, an article was written about me along with other EDM vocalists by Jake Stevenson. Thank you, Jake. Um, And thank you for featuring it on Octavent, a really nice blog. Screenshots were taken of my tweets and were quoted about my experience being an EDM vocalist. And I talked about how, you know, I've been treated and steps we can all just take to make it better. Now, I had been planning on releasing my song, The End, in tandem with the launch of this new season of Over the Neon Rainbow, long before Jake wrote the article, which thank you again for featuring me and also for featuring so many of my talented friends. I am so honored and honored to be in such great company. And I I was just seriously shook by all the attention it got, especially from so many other fellow vocalists who felt like they had been treated the same way I've been treated and who were generally just fed up fed up from not getting paid to not being included in press releases to always having our name being in like microscopic fonts. Like, 
I swear. I had to like zoom in on the artwork sometimes just to be able to see who's singing on it. Like, I don't know if maybe, I don't, maybe I need a new prescription like for my glasses, but I mean, <laughs> it's like, it's just wild. Um, and even like just basic things like tagging us on uh, social media. It just, it feels bad when you're excluded on something that you worked on. You know, it's like your voice. Recently, I've been very vocal about how on Spotify, if you featured on a song and you're tagged as a featured artist, it'll only show up on your Spotify in the appears on section. So you have to scroll all the way down just to see it when someone visits your page. And if you don't have the label tag you as a main artist when they distribute the song, you know, your fans aren't going to be notified. It won't count towards your monthly listeners. And whenever someone visits your page, they won't be able to find it right away unless, uh, like, you know, they know to scroll all scroll all the way down to that section. So the easiest solution in my mind, instead of begging these labels, like, please, please tag me as a main artist so my fans can see it, and, you know, is, is just to simply forego the feature and just put and. And then it's like problem solved, right? And and just like an FYI for you vocalists out there trying to get tagged retroactively, labels can retroactively fix the tag for you. And if they say that they can't, they are lying. It's a simple fix. Sorry, not sorry for sharing that. So anyway, one day I'm on Twitter scrolling through the feed and I see a fellow vocalist who's once again been excluded on a press release and all social media posts. And this is what I tweeted in response to seeing that. Cause you know, like if you've been following me for a while, I really just go off on Twitter sometimes, like a lot of times. And you know, like I've got a big mouth. I'm not afraid to say it, like how, say it how I see it. So this is what I tweeted. I said, also, is this weird that I'm like talking about what I tweeted in a podcast? I don't know. We're going for it. We're doing it. Um, <laughs> so I tweeted, I don't understand why vocalists continue to be left out of announcements and press releases. It's really disheartening. I wasn't even included in the Party Freaks press release. It makes me feel like my hard work doesn't matter at all. And that's partly why I won't ever feature again. So I tweet this out. But before I go into the rest of this Twitter drums, I just want to say that I think the staff at Monstercat have always been lovely to me. Whenever I've had an issue with tagging, they've always fixed it for me. But I will say that this is not the first time they've left me out of a press release. So, you know, I'm allowed to feel some type of way about that because honestly, it's straight up embarrassing when I have friends and colleagues receive a press release and my name isn't even mentioned once. And they ask me, why aren't you included in the press release? And I'm like, I don't know. Why am I not included in the press release? And it's not the first time it's happened. It's also happened from releases, not only from Monster Cat, but tons of other labels do this as well. And the reason why it's so damaging when you're not included in the press release is because a lot of the time, press outlets and blogs don't don't do a write-up. They don't even listen to the song. They just copy and paste whatever the press release says. So now it's everywhere that even though my name is on the title of the song, it's like this weird vibe of just like, even though I sing on the song, I don't exist. Like it's, I, I don't even, I don't even know. I don't understand it. I don't even, I don't even know what to say about it. Like I, I, I don't know. Like how can you ignore the fact that there's another artist that contributed to the song, sings lyrics, it's just it's just weird that it happens in the first place. Like, I don't know how this started. I, I really don't. Anyway, I digress. So I tweeted what I tweeted. And immediately, Mike Darlington, the CEO of Monster Cat, responds to my tweet. So before I read you his response, and I'm not sure if he deleted it, but I got the screenshots, honey, because you know I saved my receipts. <laughs> and like, I just want to say, 
This is in no way me throwing shade at Mike. I think he's a nice guy, always been cool with me. But, you know, like in certain situations, nobody's perfect. And I'd like to think of everything as a teachable moment. And mistakes are just an opportunity to learn and be better for next time. So, like, please don't make him a villain. I really just feel like this has just been the general overall vibe in how EDM vocalists get treated. So, yeah, Mike Darlington tweets at me, and I quote, I don't really understand this complaint. You were one of the few vocalists who received a flag in-game were in all trailers, full artist credits, etc. If you were missed in a press release, it was absolutely not done on purpose. Comes off really ungrateful. Oh, so where to begin? Uh, Mike said, let's start with this. Mike said, I'm one of the few vocalists who received a flag in game, were in all trailers, full artist credits. I think I think most importantly, saying that I'm one of the few vocalists who received like these things speaks volumes. It it says that vocalists are not considered artists in, in the EDM community. It's like we're second class citizens. And the way Mike worded that, and I'm sure he didn't realize this at the time, and like I said, he is a really nice guy. Um Basically, that's like the CEO of a of a really well-respected EDM label telling the world and the entire EDM community that I should just shut the fuck up because I was lucky enough to not be treated like a vocalist. And I was lucky enough to be treated as an artist. And and that most vocalists did not receive the same treatment and respect for their work. And for the record, this is not the first time I've been left off of a Monster Cat press release. So, so like, at what point is continuously being left off of press releases? At what point does it move over from a mistake to being intentional or to just being like, this is, this is how it's done? You know, like, I don't, I don't want to use the word intentionally, but it's like, it doesn't matter if people include vocalists or not, because we don't matter. Now, let me tell you a little bit about how this song was made. I wrote this vocal years ago. Um, to try and pitch to Cascade for his Freaks of Nature tour. That's that's kind of where the Party Freaks thing, Freaks of Nature came in. And I literally went back and forth on on this song like for months, just making vocal edits, changing melodies, and it didn't end up getting used as as it so often happens. But you have to understand like the time and energy I spent in making this song was like tremendous, like months. So fast forward a few years later, I gave the already produced vocal to the Pegboard Nerds and they liked it. And they produced a song around my vocal and vocal melody. And it was amazing. They did like, they smashed it out of the park. I, I think that's like one of my favorite songs, like seriously, that I've done in a really long time. Like, I love that song. It's great. Now, after that tweet, the lovely Molly Hankins, who also works over at Nest HQ, she's amazing and probably like one of my favorite humans in this world, by the way. So please go follow her on social media for all of her musings at youfoundmolly55. But anyway, Molly came to my rescue, thank God, and fired back at Mike. And I quote, ahem, puts on lawyer hat and smugly reminds Twitter that I'm secretly a licensed attorney. The top line of the song in question was written first, melody and lyrics, which makes her the original creator of the underlying musical composition. So why this was ever a feature is odd to me. And of course, Mike Darlington never responded after he threw that jab at me. But that's cool. No worries. Like the point of this is, is that Molly is a thousand percent correct. 
But of course, I agreed to be featured on this song. So before you go into jumping down my throat and an internet rage, like everything is negotiable, blah, 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 blah. But yeah, Molly is right. I am the original creator of the underlying musical composition. And the pegboard nerds did produce around my original creation. But that's not what we're here debating about. What, what I'm here to draw attention to and what is extremely disturbing is how we vocalists get treated. By Mike Darlington tweeting that he literally just taught an entire generation of producers, artists, vocalists, that it's okay to treat vocalists like afterthoughts and second-class EDM citizens. And we, are, we aren't on the same level as the artist or producer. And, and that's what really upsets me. Like, it's okay for us to be excluded because we're just a lowly vocalist, like second tier, subhuman, like whatever. I'm getting like super dramatic, but you get where I'm going. Like, I don't, I don't think that we need to be so classist about this. Like we're all creative people. We're all, we all bring something special and unique to the table. And I think that should always be celebrated in every which way. And it's not that someone's better or worse than the other one, you know, like that's, that's just like a horrible attitude. So yeah, anyway, like, let's just kind of rewind this a little bit. I often hear the argument that the reason why vocalists are treated like garbage in, ED, in the EDM world is because in the pop world, the producer's name isn't on the songs like, like it is like the artists. In the same respect, like the producers and basically the writers of the song aren't on the songs like the same way that the artists are. But, you know, they get their credit. They get paid. <laughs> but I don't think that I or any other EDM vocalist should have to be paying the price for the way the pop world operates. It's hard to break out of a construct that's existed for so long. So I totally get EDM producers, you know, being artists and, and DJs and wanting to get their shine. I get it. But why can't it just be as simple as if you collaborated on a song together, you've both worked really hard on it and contributed to make it great. Like, why a feature? And I've never really even began to, to question that for myself until recently. Like, why am I featuring when I'm producing my own vocals writing my own vocals, learning how to sing them, spending sometimes like weeks and months like toiling over a song and then coming in to like mix and engineer it and like taking out every single breath and volume automation and making sure all the harmonies are perfect and like in time and tuned and spending ages and ages on a song. So like, let's just like kind of go back to where it all started for me. And like, that's that's where I started to ask like, how how did this even happen? Like, how did I start off as just thinking being a featured vocalist was like, cool. So I've been a feature vocalist really, even since even before I started working in dance music. I distinctly remember working with Saz and Buya on their debut EP. And even though I like co-produced every single song I did with them and produced my own vocals, um, I still took a feature and not an end. And at the time, I never even questioned it. I didn't even know it was an option for me to be an end because in my mind, I had just thought that if I was the singer, regardless of if I'd produced the track with someone else too, like that meant like that I was a feature because I was a singer. Like in my mind, that's, that's I guess how it was explained to me. So like even when I work with Machine Gun Kelly, like I produced that song, I sang and wrote the hook for all we have, but I was a feature. And like, I've done the same thing for every single rapper and artist that I've ever worked with. I've never even like thought twice about it. I was a guest on that artist song, even though I was contributing melody, structure, production, engineering, mixing vocals, because when I first started off, I was just grateful to be getting a shot at working in the music industry. And also like when I first started doing music, I was working under the pressure and the stress of, if you don't do this, someone else will. 
So for the first few years of working on music full time, I was constantly told that. So just like the thought of how disposable you are, you're replaceable. It's always like lurking in the back of your mind. Like you certainly don't feel confident to speak up and say like, hey, I I did a lot of work on this and I deserve a higher percentage or no, like I don't think I'm going to sign away my rights for a buyout because that doesn't make sense. You know, like when I first started out, I did so many songs for free because people who were seasoned veterans in this industry took advantage of me. And it's so completely predatory. And they were just like, we'll give you a feature. And, and that'll get your name out there. And I just thought that was normal because like, I didn't know any better. And I was surrounded by people who normalize that bad behavior. And, and it's, and it's just like insane. It's like, I, like I could never imagine doing that to anyone. So I don't understand how it was just so normal, but whatever. I don't know. So before I go on to telling my story of what it's been like all these years as an EDM vocalist and how I've been treated and how I've watched my fellow colleagues be treated, I think it's important to just kind of cover some of these basics first, just in case you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, In the last episode of Over the Neon Rainbow called How to Read a Record Contract, I went into detail about what master rights are and I broke down how publishing and copyright works, but I'm also going to just run through it again for a quick refresh so you can understand what I'm talking about for the rest of this episode. So when you compose a song, the chords are the instrumental and you wrote the melody and the lyrics, you own the copyright of that song and you also own the publishing of that song. And when you record that song that you just composed and produced, um, the final version of that song is called the master recording. So when a song gets distributed, your distributor or a label, if you release it on a label, collect the mechanical and streaming mechanical royalties of your song. So that means any physical copy sold like CDs or vinyl and digital streams like, you know, streams from Spotify, Apple Music, title, et cetera. Now, you also get paid separately. This is like a separate payment from owning a copyright and publishing of your song. And these are called the performance royalty and a mechanical performance royalty, which gets collected for you from your PRO. A PRO stands for performance rights organization. Or if you have a publishing deal, um, your publisher will collect the publisher's share and your PRO will always forever still collect your writer share for you because um, (laughs) our government passed a law way back when, when artists were getting like completely ripped off and like selling everything, like their publishing and everything. They wanted to make sure that their artists didn't get completely screwed. They at least had something, some sort of rights and ownership to their content. So uh, yeah, like you'll, you can never sell your writer share. And then there's also Sound Exchange, which collects and distributes royalties for the featured artist and the sound recording copyright owner when content is played on a non-interactive digital source, which is like kind of the U.S.'s version of neighboring rights. And of course, every country has their own laws on performance royalties and how they're collected, but we won't go into all that on this episode, but it will be covered in an episode later in the season, so don't worry. So just for simplicity, even though there's tons of different royalties and tons of different ways to get paid out from your music. Um, For now, I'm just going to keep it simple uh, and just only refer to the master rights and the publishing rights. Um, So yeah. Okay. So anyway, here I am kind of pre-programmed from the jump to believe that a, I should just be lucky that people are giving, giving me a shot to put music out and B, I have no clue about master rights or publishing at all. I, I didn't even know that those were two separate things. And see, if I say anything about wanting to get more or whatever, I can be replaced easily. So as I'm chugging along, I'm just trying to build a name for myself and gain a fan base while paying my bills and keeping the lights on from doing music full time. And, I, you know, I did a lot of desperate shit. 
I do, I do vocal for a hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, or sell a beat and a hook, or do straight up buyouts without realizing that I'm literally signing away all my rights and I'll never be paid again. So fast forward, I learned a lot of really hard lessons. I got a really, really great lawyer. Thank you, Adam Zia, and he was kind enough to help educate me on what my services are actually worth. A lot of you might be thinking like. That's your fault for not knowing beforehand or, oh, well, at least you got paid something and you got your name out there. And yeah, you know, like, I guess you're right. But this industry is so predatory. Like there's really limited resources out there to explain to you what all the different parts of a song consist of and how you collect money from it. So if you're just starting out, how are you supposed to know? And then things are constantly changing. Like Spotify only really became a massive source of income for so many artists like a few years ago. So it's really easy to be taken advantage of. Just for just for your reference, like this is this is how I operate. I only do 50-50 splits. And for the future, I, I'm never going to feature again. So if I'm working on a song with somebody and I'm writing and performing, producing my own vocals, or they produce around a song I've already written and produced a vocal for, like 50-50 split, and I, I don't budge on that. Um, you should absolutely do the same if you're a vocalist and you produce and write your own vocals. And do not ever accept anything less than what you are worth. And a way to avoid like sticky situations is to be upfront about your expectations on splits and credits from the jump. Like don't even agree to work together unless you're on the same page about about credits and splits. So for example, did you know that a million Spotify streams is like approximately, give or take, $4,000? One million streams equals $4,000. So that's before you have to pay any distribution fees. So, you know, if you even have any. So I know like TuneCore is just like an upfront annual fee and that's it. Other distributors take 5 to 20% off the top. Or if you sign your song to a label, so then you'd have to subtract the label, whatever, whatever distribution they use, that fee, and then you split after that, whatever you've agreed upon on the master. So let's say you did sign it to a label and it's a 50-50 split on the master. So the royalty money that you would make, let's like leave out distribution fees for now, just like simple math, but a 50-50 split between you and the label for the master, they take $2,000, you take $2,000, right? Okay, so just a few months ago, I was talking to a producer who was interested in working with me and I say, you know, I don't do features anymore. I only do full collabs, especially because of Spotify tagging and he goes, cool. And I start talking to him about splits and this dude, let's just say his name rhymes with Neon Shimmer. Well, actually, it's like, it's kind of a really cool name. Oh man. All right. Free, free artist name for you guys. <laughs> anyway, he said that Neon Shimmer said that his manager only does full buyouts when working with singers. So a buyout usually means, unless you specify otherwise, a one-time fee. And you don't see any money from the master side or the publishing side ever after that. That's it. It's a buyout. So I'm stunned because uh, Neon Shimmer, I really hope, I oh man, I really hope I don't say his real name. It would be so embarrassing. Um, so Neon Shimmer... Also, if you figure this out, if you figure out who I'm talking about, like major points, <laughs> I will not confirm or deny. <laughs> um, anyway, so I'm really shocked because Neon Shimmer's manager is a huge bass artist that like tours, he's an industry vet. And like, honestly, I've met him a ton of times and he's like a really nice guy. So Neon Shimmer tells me they're doing only $400 buyouts for the master and the publishing for a vocalist club. And I, I just, 
I, I feel like my jaw dropped to the floor. I was like, you want me to take $400 for like weeks or maybe months worth of work and I'll never see any money again. And you get, Neon Shimmer gets to like go on tour, play, play the song that we worked on together, make thousands of dollars a show to stand up there pretending that twisting knobs and moving a fader is like so fucking hard. And when Neon Shimmer collects his $4,000, when the track hits a million streams on Spotify, not to mention all the other income the track will generate as far as other digital service providers go and like performance royalties, I'm supposed to say okay to that? Like, how is that fair? How is that legal? Now imagine I didn't get put through the ringer to understand how bad of a deal that was. Right? Like I would have just taken that deal. Like like a few years ago, I would have just taken that deal and been like, all right, well, it's four hundred dollars and I can afford to uh buy a plug-in and, and the rest of the money will go towards my rent or car payment, you know, and I would have just I would have just done it and never seen any money again. So now what's even more messed up is Neon Shimmer is gonna go and ask another vocalist to feature on his track for four hundred dollars while he tours and collects all the royalties and all that vocalist will ever get is $400 and a feature on a track that isn't even going to show up on their main page on Spotify and won't boost their monthly listeners. And what's even more interesting is that if Neon Shimmer does a collab with another producer, I highly doubt he would have the balls to ask them for a buyout for $400. Like, isn't that mindset just crazy? Because because it's a vocalist, it's okay to do that, but he would never dream of doing that to another producer he was collabing with. So this is like a direct correlation of what people think a vocalist value is in EDM, which is that we are less than, and we deserve way less than everybody else. So for me, when I write and perform and produce a vocal, and I know everybody, you know, does it different and that's, you know, that's cool. There's like a million ways to skin a cat. Uh, I work by myself as far as engineering and recording my vocal goes. And I've spent like thousands of dollars on equipment and plugins. And plus, like, you know, I have to pay for rent for my studio and I live in New York. So like this shit is not cheap. Mm -mm. And I, I either work two ways. I, um, I either give the producer a vocal or a piano vocal for them to produce around. So that means I've already written and composed the, the song basically and the vocal's done. So there's no extra production or mixing necessary unless we decide to change something down the line. Um, or I'm working from scratch with a producer. So I'm either writing to an instrumental they gave me or, you know, like I'm, I'm kind of like writing some new chords or just doing it all from scratch. And I really do like to take the time to develop the song concept and create characters and entire storyline and like make mood boards just because for me, it's easier to create from like a, to create from a story. Like I have more things to draw upon. Um, but it's not just the actual writing of the lyrics, which to be a good writer is like extremely hard. Like, you know, I find myself always reading books or like, I feel like you always have to be writing when you're a writer, if that makes sense. Like every, I'm observing everything all the time just to get like a song idea or like a friend of mine might say a sentence and I'm like, Ooh, that's a good, that's a good song concept right there. So that's, that's just the writing side. The lyrics alone, sometimes they can happen quickly or sometimes it could just take like months and months of like revising it until it just like feels right and it's perfect. So then once like that whole lyrical aspect is completed, you know, I also have to learn how to sing it and create a melody. And because my voice is a muscle, not to mention every single day I have to sing and warm up with vocal exercises to keep my voice in shape. I also can't eat certain things because it might harm my voice or cause like acid reflux. You know, like I can't like shout 
like when I go out, like I have to really like be conscious of my voice, like 24 seven. So there's an entire physical aspect to singing that's extremely taxing as well as the production and engineering side of it, which is also extremely time consuming and tedious. So for example, comping a vocal, which means I'll sing the lead vocal anywhere from like 10 to 20 times, comp all the best parts of those takes into the lead vocal, and then make sure it sounds all smooth so you can't hear any pops or clicks, or, and then I have to tune it using Melodyne if it needs it, make sure all the breaths are, are taken out or lowered, uh, volume automation. And then when you're ready to start recording doubles and writing harmonies, you have to take out all those breaths, you know, and then when you want to do like the, I don't know, like if you want to do, I, I like to do a lot of like extra ethereal vocal pads or ad libs. And honestly, like when I'm done tracking the entire vocal, I usually have anywhere from like 25 to 50 vocal tracks, like easily. <laughs> and like, that's pretty much every single song. So then after the actual tracking is done, and every double is sung perfectly in time and every harmony has been tuned, then I can produce the vocal, which means like, you know, mixing it, um, EQ panning, going with like effects and automating like different reverbs and delays for each part. And then any other weird shit I want to do, vocoding, whatever. Um, and just like really fully producing the vocal. So, so why should I take a feature when this process is, I mean, some, I mean, I, probably sometimes even longer than like making an instrumental. Seriously. Like writing and producing a vocal is is so much work. I really don't think that a lot of producers understand that because it's not easy. And if it was so easy, these producers, you know, they would just do it themselves, right? Seriously. So if you're a vocalist, and I can't say this enough, you need to learn how to produce, even if it's just being able to mix and produce your own vocal over an instrumental. It's so important because this is how you keep your sound consistent. A lot of producers and EDM producers especially, no offense guys, you don't have a lot of experience mixing and producing a vocal because that's not what you do all day. You know, like, and 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 as a vocalist, you're going to know your own voice better than anyone. Like, you know what sounds good. You know when, you know, that was your best take. And if you really want to be an end, you need to be writing, singing, engineering, and producing your own vocal. And a word of advice to producers who are listening to this, please appreciate your vocalists. Make it a team effort. Collaboration is supposed to be fun. Make sure that you tag each other in posts, that you communicate about release plans and dates because because this is like music. It's supposed to be fun. And we need to just adjust the attitude that a vocalist in EDM is not important because the vocal is just as important as the instrumental. We need 50-50 splits and fuck a feature. Be inclusive. Be the change that you wish to see in the world. Appreciate each other. Be good to each other. Because it doesn't have to be one person wins and fuck the other person. It can be everybody wins and everybody gets paid. It, it really can be that way. I've got a new song that I wrote and also produced. It's called The End. I originally wanted to release it early in May, but I think I was just afraid to release it because I, I didn't want it to be career suicide. <laughs> Um, and also because it's the first time I've ever really explored the darker side of what it is to be an EDM vocalist. And generally, I really try to keep things positive. And I, I don't really like to make songs that are like about myself in such a direct way. I'm really conscious about crafting songs that everyone can connect to. Or even if I do write a song from a personal experience, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of like hide details, personal details in a metaphor or a broader lyrical concept that everyone can relate to and apply it to their own lives. <laughs> but like, I, I don't know, I feel, I feel so nervous even just like talking about this right now. <laughs> like, I, 
I never really go into depth explaining what my lyrics mean, especially to me and what they're they're inspired by, because I also truly believe that once a song is is born, <laughs> like once a song is born and it's released, it's no longer mine. It's it's whatever it is the listener takes away from it. And it's it's the listener's experience. So for this song, um, because it's so detailed and so deeply personal to me, I felt like it was important. It was important for me to explain why I wrote it and what it was inspired by because a lot of up and coming producers and vocalists follow me. A lot of you guys look up to me and I feel extremely grateful that you guys do, but it also comes with like a great responsibility. So I feel like the best thing I can do is be transparent and honest about my experiences so that we can make this better. So we can like move forward and be progressive. And hopefully, you you know, the next artist who starts off as an EDM vocalist doesn't have to go through what I've, what I've been through. If someone else can learn from my mistakes and they don't have to make them, then it was worth it for me to have made the mistakes in the first place. <laughs> like, honestly, I'm happy, happy to have done it. So yeah, like this is, this is the most personal song I've ever written where I've just straight up talked about the shit that's happened to me. And it's, it's not a love song or I don't know, it's not like a generic party song. It's just so specific to me and my experience being a vocalist in the EDM community. And I just felt like if I didn't get this off my chest and put this song out there, like I couldn't move forward with all the rest of the music that I've been making for years and have had like nowhere to go with it. Like I don't I don't know that might sound crazy to you but I just felt like I this is something that I like needed to say for me. And if you've also listened this far along into the podcast like bless you. I love you. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm probably going to be the most open and honest I've ever been about my career so far like in this episode. So like you know naming names and and other stuff. So I I'm, I'm super nervous about it, but um I don't know if you've ever wanted to hear me spill some EDM tea. Honey, here's your chance. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> all right. The first, the first couple lines of this song are, took a good look around and all that I see is what you need from me. So you can make your money, so you can feed the fame, keep using all my dreams for your capital gain. Being an EDM vocalist, I'm constantly getting messaged every single day, multiple times a day on every single platform, like collab, collab, bro, collab. Can you sing on my track? And like, <laughs> and like, what's the weirdest one is when people like actually demand for me to sing on their track. Like, I need a vocal. Like, you'd be surprised at how often people just say that sentence to me and how, how shocked they are when I express to them that I need to get paid for working on a song for them. So like they literally like approach me by saying like, I need a vocal and then expect me to not only do it for free, but to do it immediately. Like I'm a vocal vending machine, just waiting to to pop out a vocal. And it's just like bizarre. Like you would never walk into a restaurant and say like, I need a cheeseburger and fries and, and like now and also I need it for free. So like imagine someone demanding a cooked meal for free from your restaurant and then turning around and like selling it like like they made it. And like, that's what it, that's what like, this has felt like for, for a while for me now, like over the years, it's just been people constantly needing something from me so that they can get something for themselves and like, just completely fuck me over. Like they don't credit me. They don't pay me or do the things that they said they were going to do to compensate me. Like, even though we have contracts and if you have been a fan of mine for a long time, you know that I've had some issues with Midas 
And yes, we're going to talk about this right now. Um, And he seems like a nice enough guy. And the story I'm about to share is not how I feel about him as a person, but this really is about a bad business situation, an unfortunate situation. But before I tell you this story, it is so important that if you are a collaborator or a vocalist on someone else's song, you need to make sure that if you're self-releasing it, you only do it through a distributor that is going to pay you out directly. Meaning, I know that STEM does it. I know DistroKid does it. This means that the other person isn't responsible for paying you your share. The distributor does it for you. So they never can touch your money. So anyway, back to this Midas situation. The situation for Open Window and for another song where he samples my voice called The Opening, which I've never been paid for the opening. I've only received payment for Open Window two times since it was released in 2013. So the song has over 5 million streams on Spotify. I have no idea like how much on YouTube or Pandora, but apparently, and this is according to Midas, his now ex-manager, who is Bear Grylls, stole a ton of money from him, including most of the royalties from Open Window, which Bear Grylls denied when I asked him about it. You know, I'm not going to get involved in their whatever that is. And Midas said that he can't pay me the back payments retroactively of what he owes me. And about a year ago, he said that he would just start paying me out regularly, which hasn't happened, unfortunately, from when the song got shifted from his ex-manager's label to his own label. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, that's better than nothing. I just have to say yes and move on because I can't waste my time and energy chasing someone else around. And I also can't afford to sue him because if, you are, if you're going to sue somebody, it, it costs a lot of money. And, you know, whatever, it's fine. The situation is what it is. Lesson learned. I'll never do like a self-release with someone that doesn't do direct accounting splits like a distrocator stem does. Let's just do some quick math so you can understand how this feels to me. So 5 million streams is approximately like $20,000 from Spotify streaming royalties alone. So like this is like before distribution fees and and label fees. And we agreed on a 50-50 split of the master. But because Midas' ex-manager Bear Grylls stole money from him, I've roughly been paid around $1,000 for it. You know, and it, it kind of sucks when when I see on social media that he's, you know, bought a brand new fancy car, but still has never paid me exactly what he owes me and says that he can't. Um, so yeah, I mean, that feels bad, but whatever, lesson learned. You know, no worries. We wish Midas well, like, congrats. Like, I hope he has an amazing career. But for me, like, big lesson learned and, and just to keep it moving. But you know what? Like, it sucks. That feels shitty. It sucks. When I and and it sucks that the general attitude of everyone is just like too bad for you, like or somehow it's my fault, and it's not like like and there's no recourse for me, like there's no way for me to get my money on something that I worked hard on. Yeah, I mean it. It really does not feel great when I've written and performed a song and sung a song, and those are my dreams and my thoughts and my words and my voice. And it's so strange because a producer will go off and play these songs live. But it's really only like the producer or the DJ who gets remembered and like not the vocalist, not even at all. So meanwhile, people are singing along to the words that I've created and the melodies that I've sang. And this producer and DJ can make a living off of touring off of the song that we made together. So it's, it's, um, I don't know, it just doesn't really seem like fair 
And I'm, and I've spoken to like other producers who actually ghost produce for other people and they've been in similar situations. So I know like I'm not the only person that feels this way, but I also just feel like not a lot of people talk about it because it's like, well, this is how it is. Too bad. You know, like this is the music industry. Too bad. And I just don't think that's like an acceptable sentiment anymore. Like we need to do better. So anyway, um, the next lines are, you use my name to open up doors and then slam them in my face when I ask for what's mine, not yours. That's mine. Don't I deserve it? Aren't I worth it? So like eventually it just got to this point where I was doing a lot of feature work for producers that were up and coming and would approach me and say like, oh, like, you know, this track is great, but it really needs a singer or it really needs a vocal to take it to the next level. And like, or the label said they liked it, but like, you know, we really need to find a, a vocalist for it. And, you know, I would work with these guys because I would love the music and I, you know, I really believed in them as a talent. And, you know, it would be not trying to sound conceited, but it would be my vocal that would get the song signed to the label or to get it placed, you know, for someone else to to sing. But when I when I would ask for equal splits or to be included and in tags on on Spotify or to just be be paid on time, suddenly they would become like very nasty to me or would even stop responding to me when it came time for them to deliver on just like the simple terms that we had agreed upon. And even though we would have contracts in place and split sheets and emails, like documenting all these things, when when people do this to you time and time again, it just really fucks with your head and makes you start to question your own self-worth. Like, always having to fight for just like the basic things. Like I worked just as hard on this song as you did, like maybe even more so because physically and emotionally, I have to invest in singing and writing and performing this song. And now I can't even get like paid or be included in a press release. Like it feels so strange to be needed and then tossed out as soon as they get what they want. So I'm just gonna move on to the chorus. The chorus is pretty self-explanatory. This is the end. This is the end of you and me. You never were my friend. I got nothing left for you to take. Got no heart left for you to break. This is the end of you and me. When I wrote this chorus and when I wrote this song, I was just like in this place where I was so depleted creatively. Because whenever I would work with somebody, I would fulfill their need to further their career. But really the only thing it did for me was continue my existence on this same loop of featuring, never being able to tour or get my own music signed because I'd be so busy doing features to make sure that I could survive and make money and pay my bills. And I realize it's obviously a working relationship. When you're creatively working with other people, there's like an emotional component and connection needed to really write great songs. And it sucks feeling like you're making something so special with someone. And then for them to just pretend like you don't exist or matter after the song is over is just so hurtful. And it's hard not to take it personal. So like when I wrote this chorus at that point in my life, like I was just like, I am 1000% done letting people treat me like this. Like I'm done with these labels. They don't care about me. They're not my friends. They don't care about nurturing me as an artist. They just care about like the producers, you know, and it's not even like a, a producer's fault or an artist's fault. Like they're, they they have their own stuff to worry about. You know, they, they have to worry about where their next check is going to come from. They, they can't sit here and make sure that I'm okay. Like kind of like when you're, <laughs> when you're in an airplane and they tell you to put your own mask on first, we're all fucking going down in this fiery demise. I'm like, yo man, they're, they're just trying to get their mask on. I got to get my mask on. It's, that's what it like, it feels like all the time. So I was just really feeling that vibe of everyone's out for themselves 
And like, you know, they never really cared about me in the first place. They got what they wanted. And now I just have to put my foot down and set a healthy boundary for myself. (laughs) Thank you, therapy. And I'm just like, you know, done letting people use me to make their tracks better and literally getting nothing out of it, except for to keep teaching the universe and, and to keep teaching other producers and artists that it's okay to use me and use my voice over and over as a feature for the song and to never go beyond that. So like that, that for me is like just me, like this is it. This is the end of that. So the next bit is, aren't I lucky, a slave to success? They all want to fuck me and keep giving me less and less so they can use my voice so they can level up and forget where they came from and leave me in the dust. I don't want to sound bitter, but you know, of course, like I'm a, I'm a writer, I'm an artist, I'm like kind of dramatic, like whatevs. Okay, so, but being a feature singer just locks you in this endless cycle of like being forced to pump out song after song because not all of them get released or even see the light of day, but it becomes this thing that you like constantly have to keep producing a song and a hit and it's always for like someone else and you're just like, oh, like I need this placement. I need, you know, it's like this constant vibe of like, depletion, 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 like, like putting, putting, this has to be the best song I've ever done. This has to be the best song I've ever done every time. And it takes so much energy and time just to write a song. So it's like, you get stuck in it because you need to survive. You need to pay your bills. And, and the line, and I just want to like really clarify this because I didn't mean this in a people want to have sex with me way. Like that's disgusting. Like, but in the line where I say like, they all want to fuck me and keep giving me less and less. It's not sexual at all. It's literally like I chose the word fuck because there's no emotion or caring when you fuck somebody. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's literally just like, they want to fuck me over and use me for what they need. Like I'm nothing because they get what I, you know, they get what they want. And then I, I never get what I want. It's actually funny, like I was having a conversation with Laura Brem about being an EDM vocalist and it's almost like, it's almost like we get treated like a side chick. We'll work together with a producer and the producer gets what they need and they only call us when they need us, of course, like whenever they need a vocal and when it's convenient for them. And, you know, they rush us like, oh, are you done? Are you done? Are you done? But like, you know, of course, like they can take, everything is on their time, however long they need. And then they're gone. They got what they wanted. They're gone. But then afterwards, it's like some side chick shit where it's like, oh, I don't know that girl. Like, you know, when we try to call them and ask for a favor or, or when they don't want to share any of the credit or tag us or or even when an artist slash producer decides to exclude us from the artwork and just slap only their face on the artwork when it's a full on collab and don't even ask our permission to put it out first. If you know who I'm throwing shade at right now, like props to you. <laughs> but it's just like, wow, like you just think so little of me and what I do. Like you just think you can get away with anything. Like I don't matter. You know, I was just really in this state of feeling worthless. Like I was trying so hard to make meaningful music that would make people happy. And it's just like, I couldn't get out of this nonstop feedback loop of people taking and not compensating me or crediting me. And it just drains you. Or even like when I would ask a favor from them for an intro or feedback or whatever, it was like they couldn't be bothered, but they'd ask me for intros to labels or blogs or YouTube channels and like expect it from me. So like, I I can't explain how shit it feels to write a song and then watch videos of it being played live and hear your voice and your words and you're not even tagged in in the video or like a tweet or like 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 I'm a fucking ghost or something like do I not exist it just like creates a really huge mind fuck and and the line where it says like so they can use my voice so they can level up and forget where they came from 
leave me in the dust. There's a lot of people that I started with and the songs we've done together and a lot of them had done really well and gave them a push into touring. And I'm not, I'm not saying like I'm responsible for that. Um, and I'm also not saying that everyone has done this to me, but quite a few artists now literally act like they're too cool for me. And I'm not like bitter, but I'm genuinely, when I see someone doing well, I'm genuinely like super excited for them. Like I'm really excited that someone's like living their dream and they've done it off of like their art. Cause like when somebody, when somebody wins like that, like that means like it's possible for you to win. Like that's the way I I look at it. And I just, I just don't understand when people are like, they think it's okay to treat, to treat someone like they don't know them because like, you know, I'm not as popular as they are now. Like, that's just like weird. And I think that speaks more about how that person is and and who they are as a person. I would never treat somebody like they're less than, like I would never ignore somebody that I'd once worked with, especially if they had helped me get to the next level of my career. So that's just like, that behavior is just like so crazy to me. And I also... Like, I can't stand it when people just make up the excuse like, well, that's just the music business for you. Or like, oh, well, that's just like an artist for you. That's what they do. And it, and, and that's just like not acceptable. That's like not an acceptable excuse because being in the music industry and being an artist does not give you a pass to be like an ungrateful and rude human being. So like, you know, just, just putting that out there. So the last little section is, and this, I think, uh, I think these lines are probably the most personal for me and mean the most to me. Um, Good enough for a feature, not good enough for a home, when all I've ever wanted was a place to call my own. I can't find a label that'll cut me a break. That unicorn shit's unstable. That's what they all say. I mean, I feel like I've been carrying around that feeling and that weight for a really long time. So, like, imagine, like, I'm good enough to be a feature on all these songs. My voice is good enough. My lyrics are good enough. And then I go and every label I shot my own tracks to, the EDM labels were all like, this is too pop for us. Or even the songs that weren't too pop. It was really, um, it became really like obvious to me that the labels I'd worked with for years had zero interest in helping me after I've been a part of their journey and their label for so many years and had done songs that so many of their fans really enjoyed. It was just like, nope, like you can only be a feature singer and we don't believe in you as an artist. And like that hurt, ow, like that hurts. Okay. It was just like, no, you know? And I mean, I I don't really, I don't really let anybody stop me, but you know, I still, I still feel, I still feel how I feel in my feelings. And like, you know, it's, it was just like literally like them just saying like, you can only be a feature singer. We don't believe in you as an artist. And then I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll, I'll try other labels, you know, like, and I would go to major labels. And as I'm shopping these songs to, for my artist project, you know, these labels are like, cool. Like we, we know an artist, this would be perfect for it. And I'm just like, what? Like, no, it's, um, it's for me. Like the song is for me. <laughs> like, it, it's just, it's just so strange. Like, you know, I, I, it's so strange to me that like so many people like don't understand who I am, yet I have like the most incredible supportive fans I've I've ever ha- I've ever seen. Like I don't even know what I did to get so lucky to have so many incredible fans, like my little baby unicorns, like you guys. I, I mean, like I'm so lucky, I'm so blessed. I don't I don't even know how that happened, but I'm so grateful. And I, you know, it's like it's so weird to walk into a label and to have them be like, we can't wait to give away all of your songs to someone else. When it's like, yeah, but like. 
I have half a million monthly Spotify listeners. All my releases do really well. You know, like, and I've done it, I've done it all by myself. Like, I don't have management. I don't have, like, a team behind me. And I was like, man, like, what, what else do I have to do to prove myself? Like, I have so many solo songs just sitting here that I was too afraid to release because I was like, well, what's the point? if I can't release them on a label, cause like they're never going to get hurt. And it just felt awful. And I know I'm not the only EDM vocalist who feels the way I'm certainly not the only producer who feels this way or artist who feels this way because not all of us make EDM. And even some of my producer friends who, who predominantly make dance music and ghost produce, they do it because it pays the bills. That's not really what they want to be making. And the other piece of this is it's really crazy to me that these labels typically only have like one A&R. Like you, you have maybe like one or two A&R that decide the fate of all of these artists. And and it, and and I mean, I, I respect curation, like I get it, but but what about, what about creativity? Like, and I mean, like, what about the rest of these, the, all this really incredible music out there that will never get heard just because it doesn't fit on a label? Out of like all this kind of frustration, this is where I got the idea to create Hidden Sounds. I wanted to create a space where we could thrive as artists knowing that our fans will hear our self-released music. Because so often I found that if we don't release with a label or we can't secure a YouTube promotion from a big channel or afford a PR person, like, and even some, some PR people that they don't, you know, they don't really do a good job. Sorry, guys. It's very rare to find an amazing PR person. So when you do... Yo, you you better hold on to them. Anyway, you know, you sit there and you work so hard in the song, you just wanted to get heard. It sucks if you can't secure any of those things. So the greatest part about Hidden Sounds is it's not a label. It's a collective of, and I think we have like over 50 artists now, of artists supporting each other's self-releases to make sure that these songs get heard. And so by combining all of our fan bases, we've created this incredible little community, so many incredible plans for the future. Like I really can't wait until this is all sort of like rolling out and you guys can see it and, and be a part of it. But you know, I'll, I think I've, I've rambled on long enough for today. So we'll save that for another episode. So whew. anyway, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you've made it this far and just like a few key points in wrapping this, wrapping this bad boy up, fuck a feature. If you're a vocalist, Demand to be an and. Learn how to produce your own vocal. 50-50 splits, always. And if you're a producer, appreciate your vocalist. It's your song together. Make sure that you're inclusive. A song is composed of 50% of the instrumental music and 50% lyrics and melody. So please be kind to each other. We can all win and we can all help each other. So I really hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Over the Neon Rainbow. Thank you so much for joining me today. And we will see you next Monday. 